0: Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. One of the very, very few podcasts out there that uh, extensively covers the Copa Libertadores, the grandest, greatest, most prestigious club competition in South American football. Today, as ever, myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver James Wilson talked all things Libertadores. We talked about the quarterfinals. We talked about the wrapping up of the last 16 with Boca squeaking past Intervara penalty shootout to take their place in the last eight. We talked about, oh, well, the big, um, yeah, the, the possibility of a Boca River fine lolly. We talked tactics. We had a nudge of the Copa suit Americana uh, And we talked about also the, the philosophical nature of seizing the day as an individual in a potentially post-pandemic world and will this be reflected by more beautiful attacking football going forwards in South America and we decided the answer was no Ollie that was enjoyable
1: stray dogs as well stray dogs got (laughs) a mention for the first time in a while on the podcast which I think you you can talk about your philosophical changes and ideas due to global pandemics but more stray dogs less philosophy I think on the Wilson and Wins and Libertadores podcast
0: stray dogs motorcycle helmets uh, and Jeff Bezos who came up a few podcasts <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah uh, no this was thoroughly uh, an enjoyable one uh, ladies and gentlemen here, wait let me do that again I'm going to keep this in though ladies and gentlemen
1: enjoy the pod <laughs> Pulling it back to the edge of the box oh that is an absolute scorcher Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions he has now ...pulls the trigger and delivers
0: on Nacional's Libertadores debut. They lead against
1: Sao Paulo. A racing club, look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa Libertadores group stage.
0: And you know what's weird? 18 months of following
1: and working
0: on the Copa Libertadores. It makes me a little bit sad that this this great club Boca Juniors, and they are for someone that's not involved in South American football. If you ask, you, if you ask like nine out of ten Europeans to name a South American football club, it will be Boca Juniors. It just makes me a bit sad, Ollie, that we followed this for 18 months. I can't remember a single time that Boca have played really well or played, you know, fluent attacking football to the point where I've been like, oh wow, Boca Juniors. That is Boca Juniors. Mm. It just hasn't happened, has it? I mean, they're through to the last eight of the of the Copa Libertadores, so maybe I should shut up. But I don't know, Boca are just—they're just a bit crap, and it just makes me a bit sad.
1: No, you're talking to the man that went to La Bombonera and came back and was like, "It's kind of overrated, <laughs> really." What a lot of people say. I mean, I saw a nil-nil draw against Huracan, and like the atmosphere was great, but I don't know. It was, yeah. Ollie, considering I... all the hype around it, like let's.
0: No, okay. La Bombonera (laughs) is utterly spectacular (laughs) from the moment you see it from a distance to every second you're inside that ground, in my humble opinion. But I'm just talking about the football lolly. Boca have been a disappointment for 18 months, potentially before because we weren't following it before, so I don't know.
1: No, I've I've not watched a Boca game where I've been like, ooh, ooh, this... But we knew that with Gustavo Alfaro, when we turned up in Argentina the first time, was going to be that... He doesn't play that style of football. He's not an open, expressive manager. I think the difference was, was this year, and I said it in our first podcast when we made all the predictions uh, before the group stage began, of Miguel Angel Russo has got the foundation that Gustavo Alfaro built on of a really solid defensive unit. And you can't deny that Boca have been very organised over the last 12, 18 months defensively. And they're a tough side to break down a lot of the time. But you also hoped that Miguel Angel Russo was going to find that creative, expressive football. Mm. Now can you do it when your best player is a thirty-seven year old Carlos Tevez? Thirty-six. Uh, Thirty-six, sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to discredit Carlitos. So. I think he's thirty-seven in January or February, yeah. Oh, my my apologies. Um <laughs> or or Sebastian Vija. I mean are, are, are these guys how close do they actually come in terms of look, against Inter uh this week, Patrick, who who I've only seen more of anything else as a box-to-box central midfielder, has just added another string to Quality. his bow this week in terms of playing yeah, yeah. down that left. He was by far the best player on the pitch for them. Which Boca Juniors players, from you, what you've seen, can match what Patrick showed you on on, min, on the midweek?
0: No, I think it's fair. and I think you look at that Boca side and you think how many Boca players get into a River, a Flamengo, a Palmeiras side. And... As you, like, Carlos Tevez can still finish, and Eduardo Salvio's is a really good footballer. But aside from that, and is a good goalkeeper. But aside from that, I really can't see it. I mean, they're solid. I've got to say, Inter were really unlucky, Oli. And I know you covered them a lot last year, and, you know, I've watched, watched the highlights and extended highlights of these two legs. And Inter had so many chances. And as you said, especially in the first half, Patrick just realised he had so much time, so much space. He was completely dictating everything, especially down that left-hand side, where... Bufferini, who I do like actually as a right back, but defensively he he, he can uh, he can be lacking. Uh, Patrick just don't, you know he really did dominating. Um, yeah, I mean he's he, he's he's got that quality, but but uh, but Boca, just hugely hugely disappointing. I think in in every aspect. And before we talk about what actually happened in the game, one thing that struck me as well this week is we always used to talk about home advantage in the Copa Libertadores, right? And that the stat that always used to pop up was that home advantage in the Copa Libertadores is so much more important statistically over the past decade than home advantage in the Champions League, which is the European equivalent, of course. But this year, Ollie, home advantage isn't that important. There are no fans in the ground, which takes away a huge part of South American club football. And actually, if you look at the club still in the tournament, the travel is very, very, it's not extensive travel. You know, for example... uh, into going from Porto Alegre to, to Buenos Aires is like a two-hour flight. Basically, every flight left in the tournament, the geographical range between the clubs is like an hour and a half, two hours flight. So there really isn't much travel. There's no home fans. There's just a level playing field. So home advantage doesn't really mean that much anymore. Um, and Boca lost on the night. into with a better side. Uh, but, you know, they, they got through Boca via penalty shootout, and they're in the last eight of the competition.
1: I mean, it's a tra- what happened on, in midweek I thought it was bad that Inter didn't score on home soil, considering the chances they had. And again, I'll come back to what I said last week. Uh, I can't remember who it was about now. Oh, Independiente del Valle, of course. Um, You know, if you don't score when you have so many chances, do you deserve to go through? Probably not. But considering the low level of football that we saw from Boca for about half of the first leg of this tie and then the whole of this second leg. I mean, I know you don't have fans in the Bombonera. I'm sure there is a weight hanging over this club with everything that's happened with Maradona in the last few weeks. Mm. Uh, I'm sure there's always that expectation, as we know from chatting to Nico on this podcast, about it doesn't matter about anything else. You have to win the Libertadores. The expectation is you win every game and you win the Libertadores from the fans. But if that weight of expectation is on you, you need to perform far better than, than they showed. I, I cannot imagine... Well, think back, sorry, to them getting out of even second gear at best against Inter this week. They just look like a side that were clinging on and clinging on and hoping, hoping that Inter just didn't get that second goal that would completely kill the tie off. And then so fortuitous, then you get the lottery of penalties. You go, you know, back to our argument from last week as well. Would another 30 minutes of having extra time, would that have been a big difference maker for Bocker down to 10 men as well uh, after midway through the, the second half? I mean, yeah, there's a chance there's a chance that 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 caused a problem for them. So, yeah, I don't know. But big big sides, not necessarily good sides, win tournaments like this on a lot of luck as well. And they've certainly used a a lot of it in the round of 16.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking, how do Boca win the Libertadores? Well, they're helped by the fact that there's no real standout side left in the competition. The only way that I think they could win it is if they're defensively strong enough to not conceive many goals. And then Vigia and Salvio do all the running, all the work, and Carlos Tevez basically chance, uh, finishes every single chance that falls to him from now until the final uh that's the only way I can see them winning it It, it's really it feels to me to be it feels like a big stretch that Boca could go on and win it but they are Boca juniors and they've set up a a last date with Racing, who aren't exactly spectacular themselves albeit they put out defending champions Flamengo last week um yeah I mean what can you say Boca will say winning is all that matters but uh well that that game against Racing, Oli um, over two legs in the last eight. And the second leg of which, we hinted about it last week, it's now, it's, it's, it's come uh, it's come through really, and they're going to play the second leg of that Boca Racing game on the 23rd of December, height of the Argentine summer, a couple of days before Christmas. So if nothing else, that's, that's something unique and a bit of a cracker.
1: Yeah, it's something for us to watch just before Christmas Day. It's, a, it's another podcast to <laughs> to To put out as well just before Christmas. Time, so if you're time. thinking on uh, on Christmas Eve that you haven't had enough South American football yet before we get to the Christmas celebrations, there'll be a Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast dropping. I'm sure over Christmas Eve at some point to uh, <laughs> to relive all the action from that second look. Li- I think it's actually quite an interesting one because Racing, um, when I covered them in the group stage, uh, were an entertaining and enjoyable side to watch. There's a fair few promising youngsters, shall we say. Uh, in the same way that like Velez Sarsfield at times were an exciting side last year, even though there there was a lot of inexperience in that team, I think the Racing side has probably got a little bit more to it in terms of intelligence. And you look at Lisandro Lopez, who's seemingly been around Argentinian football forever, but that's a great bit of experience to have in the front line and leading that side. But they do have some quality around him as well um, to be able to cause a problem if Boca continue to put in performances like we've seen pretty much over the last what 280 200 minutes or so. Of Libertadores football.
0: Yep. Yeah. And just looking at that top half of the draw early. I mean, not much uh it's it's two Brazilian sides Gremio Santos against two Argentine sides Racing and Boca, not exactly far to for, to travel for for, for Racing and Boca. Are
1: we uh, are we going on to Grêmio Santos next?
0: I think so, just because it's it's that half of the draw.
1: Because on that note, watching this game was a stark reminder of how bad it is when clubs that play each other a lot domestically play each other in the Libertadores because Gremio Santos was the highlights on the on the show today made it look actually quite entertaining with some decent chances Mm. the full 90 90 minutes was far from it and there was so much bickering and complaining to the officials so much kind of just little nibbles at each other. You know how we were so excited for Grêmio against Inter in the group stage and it turned into a farce and it was such a disappointment to see that happen. And this wasn't as farcical, but it wasn't a good watch either. And you really hoped that it wouldn't be that, that it would be two Brazilian sides on a big stage on the continent playing great football. And it was just so chippy and awkward and bitey and nasty. And... And that's the one thing that I worry about with perhaps Rassing Boca as well, because there's two teams that know each other and we're at this stage of the tournament. I think you can... We were blessed that Flamengo didn't play with any fear last year. And I don't think River tend to play with any fear either. But there are especially sides like Boca and and probably like Gremio and Santos that have got great uh, continental pedigree. That at this stage in the tournament, particularly when they're playing a side that either knows them or is a challenging side, you can quite easily play with a lot of fear play within yourself and play for that. Well, we need to get a result on the road that gives us a chance when we have our home leg or we have to ensure we don't concede at home, be tentative, grab a 1-0 win or something like that. And it doesn't lead at times to great football after all the quality that we had in the last couple of weeks. I actually found a lot of the quarterfinals this week a bit of a disappointment in terms yeah, of overview. Yeah, I, I,
0: I completely agree, Oli, actually. And I think even if you look up and down that quarterfinal lineup now, it, you know... It's not laced with quality and talent and great attacking football, and we talked about a little bit last week about perhaps we were spoiled with some of the some of what we saw in the 2019 Copa Libertadores. But but this year, I think there's um, there's there's no standout side. I think there's a lot of sides that could beat each other, which does make it interesting if nothing else. Um, and yeah, I, I do think there's a lack of quality in in the final eight. Let's talk about Gremio Santos. You talked about how many sides have got to shut up shop. I mean, Gremio conceded three goals in the group stages, didn't concede in the round of 16 against Guarani, only conceded one goal in the, the 1-0 draw against Santos. So they conceded four goals in nine Copa Libertadores games, Gremio. So defensively very sound. I thought... One thing that struck me is perhaps have we been slightly not harsh on Santos, but have we not given them the credit they deserve? They kind of slipped through the radar a bit. we we talked a lot about River and Boca and Flamengo, of course, as we tend to do, and Gremio because of their recent history in the competition. But do you think Santos perhaps deserve a little bit more credit for, um, you know, going, getting to this stage of the competition? I mean, they're, they're not a tiny football club. They've won the competition three times, but I don't know, perhaps slightly under the radar, maybe.
1: I mean, they're not, they, they weren't a side, though, that ever played with a kind of an effervescent passion during the group stages you know it was okay we'll just get a job done get the job done Mm. go here get a result and and to be honest that's tournament football as well that's that's a fine thing to do if you know you can do enough to get yourself through it's in the same way that u.s sports always talk about get into the playoffs just get on get onto the dance floor and once you're on the dance floor anything can happen and all this kind of rubbish i mean that's what the knockout stages are like after the group stage just get out of the group. And once you get in the knockout stages, all bets are off and you can perhaps defend for your life or you can go a bit wild and crazy and play attacking football. Santos Mm. haven't actually done that that much in terms of playing great attacking football. And they weren't great to watch against Liga de Quito in the last round. So it hasn't set you up for what was they were better than I've seen, but they weren't a great yeah, they weren't a great watch this week. Still against against Gremio, uh, they're missing uh, Jefferson Soteldo this week, which which didn't help things because he is kind of the catalyst that makes them tick. Uh, there was just there's a bit too much diving and and going <laughs> down easy that, in that yeah. game.
0: Marino with a yeah with a, with a really classic diver. I mean, when I look at that Santos side, I like Para, the right back. I think Marino's definitely got something about him. Caio Jorge, you don't need to look too far into the internet to know that hit that 18-year-old is incredibly highly rated. Um, scored the goal for Santos on the night before Diego Souza equalised with a penalty about 10 minutes into stoppage time, thanks to the VAR world that we now live in. Uh, the veteran 35-year-old lashing home a really nice penalty to to make it one apiece on the night. And really, I mean, you might have looked at this in previous years and be like, oh, Santos have got the away goal and it's it's their advantage going into the second leg, but it's not really. It's, you know, it's it's one apiece and I don't think there's much home advantage, so it's everything to play for.
1: Yeah, with no fans, as we mentioned earlier, no yeah. fans, short travel, it, it's completely wide open. Um, this this was varsicle this game. At times, there was there was a sending yeah. off in the first half yeah. uh, for a challenge. Pinares got sent off, and then the the red card was rescinded because the referee realised that he got to the ball about five yards before yeah. the yeah. attacker, and it was like this: it's not even a foul, it's not even a free kick. No, and then <laughs> he gave it.
0: The, it was so it was nothing, and then he changed it to a yellow card for the yeah. It was um, uh, yeah, <laughs> Vassago. <laughs> walking his own. It's just completely, completely ridiculous. Yeah,
1: um, but yeah, there weren't there weren't many chances in a pretty lacklustre first half. Uh, Gremio had until the penalty. There was a, a header from Sosa that really should have been better from relatively close range, uh, just after a decent free kick from distance as well that forced a a pretty good save out of out of John, John, John. I called him John. Yeah, John. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Gremio shouldn't have conceded. Vandele comes flying out for a cross that he's getting yeah. nowhere near and and flaps at it and it ends up eventually bouncing into Co Jorge's path, quite luckily. And it's a really good reaction. I'll give him a lot it of is. credit on a quick turn and shimmies his body into a good position to, with the instep, just guide it past the defender on the line. But but Grameo kind of architects of their own downfall in that sense and will probably be disappointed to have come away without a victory and have conceded an away goal. A good thing for them. It's an all-Brazil clash. So, yeah, as you say, still open.
0: In the same way, Oli, that perhaps we've not given Santos maybe the credit they deserve... Just looking at the second half of the draw and Palmeiras going to Libertad and drawing one apiece. We talked about the Green Giant. We talked about the amount of goals they scored in what was a very easy group for them. They demolished Delphine 8-1 on aggregate in the last 16 of the Copa Libertadores. They come into this game against Libertad in Paraguay. And certainly in the first half, Libertad were by far the better side. Mm. And I just wonder, you know, have we, I don't know if we've overcooked Palmeiras. or we're trying, you know, we're trying to find a side to kind of get behind from a neutral standpoint. And clearly Palmeiras has scored a lot of goals and they have been quite exciting. But in some ways you could argue that this is the first decent side that Palmeiras have have faced in the competition. And, you know, they, they they were certainly, well, Libertad were equal to them.
1: Do you think, though, uh, going back to the the mentality around the Copa Libertadores, you know, you, you there's n- perhaps there is no actual home field advantage because of the limited travel. I I, I wouldn't know the exact exact distances between Palmeiras and Asuncion and everything, but it's not far. Two hour flight, less. But it's it's still, you know, Same when climate. Some, you know, when somebody talks about something enough of, oh, go away trips in the... Yeah. Combo Libertadores is so difficult. So if you go away and you get a result and you get an away goal or something like that, I don't think we probably saw Palmeiras have the right attitude that they maybe should have done. They weren't aggressive enough, really. I mean, they score first and and then kind of sit back for a lot of it once they had the lead and and invited Libertad to come on and and have more chances, um, eventually equalized in the second half. Uh, through Espinosa but but I just wonder if you get Palmeiras on home soil in this second leg it's going to revert back to being what we've seen from this Brazilian side that's the only thing I just wonder if it's a mental issue
0: well I hope so Oli as well you know Palmeiras shouldn't have anything to fear really from Libertad and I really hope in the second leg of this quarterfinal clash they do they do go all out because there is quality there is quality in that side I really like Gabriel Menino who's playing at right back he's one of those young right backs that knows he's not going to end up as a right-back. Wants to play 50 yards higher up the pitch. He had, he had a fabulous strike at the game, actually, which, uh, which Silva saved. Um, I like Gabriel Varon as well. I think he's a clever player. Ronnie was a little bit quiet this time around. Gustavo Scarpa uh, had the assist for the goal, which Gustavo Gomez uh, headed into the back of the net against his former club. Gustavo Gomez actually started his career through the youth ranks at Libertad, so he did the kind of no, no celebration... Uh, uh, no don't celebration, like after just no, me neither. I mean, that could be a whole podcast in itself. It's the captain ridiculous. of Palmeiras as well. Yeah, I, mean, I don't you... get it. Yeah. yeah. Also, he played. For, it was. It's a long time ago that he played for Libertad now, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't understand that. But uh, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't celebrate. Save,
1: save that for the things we don't like about modern football podcasts. That'll no, be about that, three that hours. That could be long.
0: a nine-hour Boxing Day <laughs> special. Yeah. Um, and Espinosa equalised, as you say, and um, as we discovered on the trivia last week. Only Libertad, the only side left in the competition that have never won it. Um, well, they given themselves half a chance going into the second leg. You feel?
1: A hundred percent. I, I still don't buy it. As I said, I have. I just got this hor- not horrible feeling because I, I enjoy Palmeiras and I've kind of if it's not Boca, I've, I've kind of nailed my flag to them. It seems without. Yep. yep. <laughs> in just in the way we've spoken. it. Oh, they're still about in it. it. They're still in it. So, um, so yeah, but Libertad, look you. It's a wild year, and Brazil's not doing well with things like handling COVID nineteen and stuff. You don't you don't know what the team sheet's going to look like half the time. I sure. mean, Junior <laughs> this week in the Combinados Americana had like four substitutes on the bench, like a really depleted <laughs> yeah. side. And it's just like, okay, this is just getting.
0: It's another wild card. You're you're absolutely right, I and mean, we'll talk about the what, the Riverside a little bit later as well. But it does add something different. I, I just got to say about this Libertad side, I do like Oscar Cardoso's. I think he is thirty seven former Benfica man he kind of leads the line really well and Adrian Martinez works works really well as a more mobile striker just dovetailing him off, off him so there is there is certainly a threat there going into the second leg um but I mean there's just so many that there's so many variables now um that, that you do still give Libertad a chance but Palmeiras will be you know they can't lose this quarterfinal clash I don't think they haven't won it since 1999 they're a huge football club it is wide open I haven't checked the odds actually this week but they must be they must be fav- I think they're they're probably statistically the bookma- bookmakers favourites above River and Boca in the competition. So you're at the point now with Palmeiras where if they don't, well, they ha they should, really should get past Libertad and yeah, they, you know they their fan base will be bitterly disappointed if they don't get to the final from this position.
1: I mean, this is the worst team in the knockout stages playing the best team from the group stages. The way it's seeded, okay. obviously. Uh, Libertad were the weakest of the 16 teams to go into the knockout stages. Two victories, one draw, three losses, scored eight, conceded 11, seven points, equal with Delphin. Palmeiras, 16 points, five wins, one draw, no loss, 17 goals, mm. two assists. It, you'd have to be mad still to th- to bet against Palmeiras going through in this, but it, do- I mean, it leaves the door open. I think we were expecting a lot more, um, and I think perhaps that was naive of us to expect that much from, particularly Brazilian sides again, I think Tim Vickery was saying this to us last year. They play within themselves on the continent a lot, or they can very easily do that, particularly when they're away from home. And it's like, no, we want to see you go out and be so expressive. And I just, again, you know, the pressure, the fear of falling short on the big stage, maybe it makes them fall short on the big stage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I also wondered how, you know, the pandemic on just an individual basis, only, as a human, the pandemic should have brought some things into quite sharp focus, like our time on this earth is finite, everyone's going to die, you got to make the most of your opportunities, uh, just try and enjoy things, blah, blah, all the cheesy stuff that is actually true. Mm. And I wonder whether that would have a knock-on effect, because that that clearly is something that most humans, I think, on the planet would have experienced this year. Like, oh, wow, okay, this is a big, sizable event, um, this is the way I'm going to change my life, or whatever. And I wonder whether it would have a knock-on effect on football teams to, to maybe play in a bit more of a Cavalier, hey, it might never happen kind of way. But we haven't exactly <laughs> seen it. Well, maybe I mean, I'm getting uh, too if, philosophical, you know. If but we're going to
1: go out and play football, let's just play it to have fun again like we did as yeah, kids. Let's play exactly. that, you know, Italy, now, Brazil, 82 football. Yeah, forget this. Throw the defensive shackles off and roam sure, free. Trey <laughs> across the pitch. That's what we want. Just, yeah. yeah. Uh, It's a lovely idea, and I think Gremio Santos immediately showed that that was never going to happen. As soon as it became like a bit of a kicking fest and the bitching and moaning and getting in... Also, getting in referees' faces just seems to be getting worse and worse as we go through this (laughs) (laughs) tournament. I feel very sorry for a lot of the officials.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean... Yeah, uh, yeah no, I completely agree and with you all. I was just going to reference the fact that you're kind of morphing into an older man when you start <laughs> complaining about stuff like that. I hey, wondered how no,
1: We're in a COVID time. I want a two metre rule around my officials. Otherwise, sure, well you sure. know, you're putting them and at that risk.
0: Seems fair. That seems fair. I also think that's how, you know how maybe mid-pandemic people said, oh, when this is all over, I'm going to spend more time in nature and not look at my phone so much. Is that the kind of thing that maybe some football clubs during lockdown were like, you know what? We really should. We really should try out that 4-3-3 and play attacking <laughs> football. And then when football actually starts again, and they're like shit let's just do what we always did and maybe that's just the same for like you know humans and football clubs we haven't had a measure. chance
1: to test it actually because we had to be at home so we haven't been able to get on the training field i don't trust it no no just go yeah just go <laughs> yeah. back go back 4 4, two, four, four but what two, about the
0: epiphany we had boss three months ago you said it's all about the enjoyment of the game no no, it doesn't matter forget that forget, that, forget that that back was away my were.
1: indoor covid mania don't worry about it that was <laughs> it was when i was shaving my head every other day and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. no i'm not
0: yeah. Um okay, so the winner of Libertad against Palmeiras will take on the winner of uh River Plate against Nacional. River won the first leg two nil against the Uruguayans. Um yeah, I mean we we expected River last year's runners-up to, to breeze through this over two legs against Nacional, who were extremely fortunate against Independiente del Valle to even qualify through that round of 16 and, and get to the quarterfinals. Uh, a few points from this one for me. First of all, Enzo Perez was uh, tested positive for COVID-19, so he was replaced in the starting 11 by uh, Ponzio, who is 39. I believe he's 40 next year. I think he's the oldest player, oldest active player left in the tournament but uh, I, I did try and do a little check on that earlier. I think that's right. Ponzio's is the oldest player. Also, it's quite interesting. I don't know whether this is injuries or perhaps positive tests that haven't been revealed yet, Ollie. But there was also starts for Angeleri and Carrascal. Still no Julian Alvarez, which for a man that scored five goals in the group stages, I think he'll be sitting on the bench absolutely fuming, to be honest. I know yeah. he's a kid, but... You know, you're home against Nacional. River, red-hot favourites for the tie. Alvarez scored five goals in the group stages. He's the next big thing at River to not start. You, you, the only thing you can think, even at 20 years old, is my boss doesn't trust me. My boss doesn't trust me. My boss doesn't trust me, right?
1: I, w- I just wonder if he's maybe as well, gashado is you don't want to give him too much too soon. We see that so <sighs> often in but... football. Like, yeah, let let his flag fly and everything like that. But at this point in the tournament... Okay, I will say that he will be in the starting 11 uh, with a two-goal lead going into the second leg, starting mm. 11.
0: Well, Young, if Borre takes penalties like that, then oh he definitely
1: goodness. will. Yeah, well, yeah. I think, um, that's Alvarez will be livid of watching Borre line up. And, I mean, two two penalties in a row for River. It doesn't... Mika de la Cruz last week. It doesn't breed confidence if they end up having to go through a penalty shootout at some point in this tournament, does it? I mean, it was... Uh, it, it was, a, it was nice that Montiel decided to step up the right uh, back. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, never never knock a defender. The penalty spot wins. No, and part.
0: I like him as well, Oli. He's you know we talked about the players that have been taken out of this Riverside and moved to Europe and and beyond. Um, I'd be surprised if Gonzalo Montiel's at the football club this time next year. He's twenty three. I th- I think he's I think he's a European player. So, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, River can hang on to him. Um,
1: yeah, but it's still it's still interesting when you look at this. Riverside and, and, and not necessarily the starting 11, but even even at the bench, you know, okay, Alvarez comes on, but like Lucas Prato comes on, Zuccolini yep. comes on. You know, these are guys that Gachado just yep. trusts in these sorts of moments. Um, you yeah, know, he's got Javier Pinola on the bench, Milton Casco still in there as well. That yeah. It's just a wealth of experience that in any potentially tricky time, and to be honest, they didn't have any tricky moments It's felt against Nacional at all. No. like did, I think we pretty much called this game straight down the middle, straight away last week of River will go through, Nacional won't provide anything, and they provided almost nothing in terms of threatening opportunities on uh, on Armani's goal. Um, and the, yeah, so I just don't think there's. it's not worth pushing Julian Alvarez at this point in games where he's not necessarily needed to be pushed, and maybe later on you want that youthful kind of really hyper energy in a, in a semi-final against a Palmeiras when you need players to run or in a final against Boca, uh, which nails him on for being the first to get a red card. If that ends up being the final.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he came off the bench Alvarez and had a part to play in the, in the Zuccolini goal to make it 2-0. Lovely little ball from Matias Suarez actually just flighted into Zuccolini's path. And then there was a, a sort of five minute VAR delay while that goal was, was cool. But um, yeah, Borre is not in good form aside from the missed penalty. So I wonder if there's, there's a gap there for someone. But uh, it was interesting to see Gachado go 4-3-3. Um, mm. We talked about the possibility when perhaps River... We talked last week about the possibility of when River faced up with a side that Gashado feels are potentially superior. Gashado might go 3-5-2. Uh, but clearly, home against Nacionali he felt full confidence to go four-three-three and play Carrascal, Borre and Suarez as the as the front three. Nacho Fernandez not in great form, which is a shame, Oli, because last year we saw the best of him. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure as well though. Being in a a midfield three like that, that there's a lot more responsibility in a midfield three. There, you know, Carrascal and, and Suarez are going to play a little wider off Borre, so there's a lot of pitch for nacho fernandez to kind of cover as as his responsibility in this game compared to if he is part of a midfield five when he then has the opportunity to push when he wants to because he knows he's got yeah. support from the fullback behind him so maybe it's just not a place where uh fernandez can kind of be at his expressive best i mean the nice thing again not to beat up on Nacional too much but you can stick an almost 40 year old ponzio in midfield <laughs> anchoring in front of that very solid defense And Fernandes and Nico de la Cruz from those positions alongside Ponzio as part of the midfield three can kind of just go and do what they want really in that game. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I just not sure it's exactly where Fernandes wants to be on the field or where you're going to see the best coming out of him on the field.
0: You know what I was going to say, Ollie? You remember when we were kids? This is kind of a phrase that's gone out of football lexicon a bit, I think, in the last 10 years. There used to be loads of players with free roles. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? I mean, like, do you remember Steve McManaman used to have like a free roll? And the more I watch Nico de la Cruz in this riverside, the more, and this kind of works into what we're saying about Nacho Fernandez because I do think that Gachado's told him to kind of let Nico de la Cruz go and do his thing a bit more. And so you saw Nacho Fernandez sitting in there with Ponzio. And uh, Nacho Fernandez is not an old man, by the way. I think he's 30, maybe. Um, and I wonder if Gashada's just said to Nico de la Cruz, look, you've, you've always got two players behind you, whether that's Nacho Fernandez, Ponzio, uh, normally Enzo Perez. And he's just given Nico de la Cruz a bit of a free role. And especially because Matias Suarez and Borre love the flanks, don't they? They're two strikers that will naturally, whenever you sort of look at highlights reel. And it gets picked up. You'll always see Borre or Suarez just really drifting out to the flank. And it just allows, kind of invites Nico de la Cruz to be that third-man runner into the box. So, yeah. Borre
1: and, and and Suarez are the kind of players that will, they will be the central figure that drags a cent, the two centre-backs, perhaps, into that right channel. And they will pick it up on the right channel of the 18-yard box himself, which opens up a lot of space for somebody like a Nico de la Cruz to arrive late into that pocket. You know, there, there are goals to come from a River Plate midfield because of that movement of whoever is the kind of the front man. And even when uh, uh, when it was uh, Lucas Prato last year as well, it, we saw a lot of that. You know, he was the feeder rather than the finisher on quite a few occasions last year in the Commonwealth of because of that very reason. Shift players-wide when you get towards the final third, deep, like sometimes right on the right-hand side or left-hand side of the six-yard box, like that deep into the final third. Yeah. And then pull it back into the space that that you've kind of emptied out, if you will, by moving the defenders around. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I just could watch Nico De la Cruz play every single week. Me too. It's a fan, and Me his too. movement's so very intelligent. Like you don't, he's not a headless chicken free roll go and do whatever. He takes the space when it's there, but he's not completely cavalier with it. But you'd never say that he plays a restrictive style of football. I'm not trying to say he's perfect in everything he does at all. but he's, No,
0: he's not, but he's a very, very good player, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's astute and sensible with the moves that he makes, but provides so much going forward.
0: Looking at the quarterfinal lineup then, Oli, just kind of glancing almost at the semifinals, something just popped into my head. So six out of the eight sides in the quarterfinals are Argentine or Brazilian. Do you think in the next five years we see a club outside those two nations win the Copa Libertadores?
1: I think Ecuador has still got a chance. You know, the last 2 years we've seen Liga de Quito and Independiente del Valle play good football and there has been a lot of talk from kind of experts in South American football and I would not ever put myself in that category just yet or for, honest, you know, 10 honest. to 15 years I imagine. Um that have said that Ecuador has seems to be continually producing like good solid youngsters that get pulled through. The only thing is is that Ecuadorian football can't keep hold of them for long enough and they either go off around Europe or elsewhere in South America. But if one of those clubs like like IDV, like Liga de Quito kind of almost did last year, finds a sweet spot, there's a great chance. I, I really worry about Bolivian football. We've already mentioned that before. Uruguayan football as well. I mean Peñarol. Like <laughs>
0: I mean it's hard to see I love the way you said you really worry about Bolivian football, Ollie. Like, as in tonight, you're gonna go to bed and be like, you know what? Like, I've got my health, my career's going okay, I'm a pretty happy guy, but just really believe The trajectory I of Bolivian football just don't think it's ever going to compete really again. Me. Never
1: gonna happen. And I think, I think world football is losing quite an iconic <laughs> nation on the South American football scene with that. You know, but, but
0: you're right. I mean, it's, I mean, how it's pretty hard to see like Alianza Lima winning the, you know, winning oh, yeah. the Copa Libertadores, or it's hard to see, even like a, a club like Peñarol, right, who, for someone of European persuasion, might be like, yeah, Peñarol, I've heard of them, they're a big club, aren't they, and they won it, you know, five times, but way back in the day, it's it's very, very hard to see outside, you know, Ecuador, as you say, independent of via Liga de Quito, certainly in what we've seen the past couple of years, and, and, and yeah, but it's it's just hard to see. And I would just, I'd love to see it in the next two or three years. Something something really mad, a Maverick side come through from one of those nations to win it.
1: Well, the the sad thing is, is that, you know, Brazilian football has just started to make this trend of the clubs being run more like businesses than anything else. Um, and, the, and the idea, obviously, in Argentina, it's still kind of members pay and run the club um, with the kind of, uh, what do you call it? subscriptions memberships that they pay uh, every sure. annual memberships they pay every single year uh, which is why argentinian football still doesn't have that much money to pay players a lot of the time but Brazilian football is drifting away from that um was it corinthians last year that were saying they were going to operate more yeah. as a business um which it opens up so much money for them mm. and and not to poo-poo what flamengo did last year but a lot of that was helped by the immense financial backing that that club has anyway. And if other Brazilian sides can capitalize that and the money comes into Brazilian football, then it's going to be difficult for these other nations and even Argentinian football, which if you looked at the Libertadores now, you'd think Argentinian football was almost all conquering still on this continent because, Uh, Flamengo were knocked out by Racing Inter have been knocked out by Boca and Atletico Paranaense have been knocked out by River in the Battle of Brazil and Argentina the Argentinians are winning when it goes head to head in these knockout stages right now and you've got three Argentinian sides in there but is that going to last for that much longer if Argentina doesn't evolve into the footballing business side but then do you want it to because because the great thing is the fans feel so connected to these clubs you know you've you've done the walk i've done the walk down to la bombonera with all the presidential banners and like yeah. being a president of one of these clubs means a lot not only to the supporters but to the guy who's the president and can lead to a political career you well know, they, does
0: li- i mean if yeah. you're the president at Boca, you're basically going to be the next president <laughs> of argentina yeah I think, yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah and then they represent the neighborhoods of course so much and yeah, it's it's very interesting outside looking in. Yeah, you would think wow, Argentine clubs are re- doing really well. You wouldn't think oh, this is the this is actually the weakest Riverside for a few years. Boca are terrible to watch. Racing, you know, haven't really done anything for a few years. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Whereas it, it, the consistently good sides, you know, Inter always in the knockout stages. Yeah. Uh, Gremio always in the semi-finals it seems. Flamengo, the expectation is always there. Palmeiras Were meant to. I mean, last year Palmeiras really wet the bed domestically and on the continental stage. I mean, uh, there is an expectation around Boca and River, but a lot of the time that feels more like hubris than it does actual expectation because of the quality of players that they've got on the continent. But yeah, um, I I don't know. I don't know another nation that would be able to. Chilean football. I mean, (sighs) but it. You know, Coquimbo Unido, the first ever. (laughs) First ever Comeball Sud Americana appearance this year. And they've just won two one on the road in the first leg of the quarterfinals. So I mean
0: Ollie, you know. Ollie we are gonna drag our audience kicking and screaming towards Copper Sudamericana knowledge. <laughs> I, I I think I pitched a semi-final Copa Sudamericana podcast and you were like,
1: whoa, 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 hey, whoa. Hey, whoa. Hey. It's it's not maybe, j-
0: maybe just the final.
1: Yeah, just the final. I oh, mean, right, we'll I'll, 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 th- I'll throw in the odd nugget every so often because there are some fun stories in there and if sure. you want a Cinderella story at the moment in South American football, Coquimbo Unido winning 2-1 against Junior who dropped out of the Comibol of on the road in the first leg of their first ever Comibol Sudamericana appearance let alone getting to the quarterfinals is a fun story to watch. Um,
0: and, and from a European perspective as well, like if you if you've got a passing interest in the Copa Sudamericana, the Hernan Crespo at Defensa at Justicia as well. Yeah. Who are, who? You know, if you say to a Europe a fan of European football, Defensa at Justicia, that they're thinking what? That you know, but they wouldn't even know that's a football club, really, would you?
1: No, no. But it's, it sounds that... like a courthouse. But
0: yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Defensa of Justice. Yeah. Defensa at Justicia. But um,
1: they've they've got a great a great forward at the moment. who's in fine form in the competition called Brian Romero, who scored two created one and like ran over to Crespo twice after their three two victory on the road in Brazil against Bayer. so I mean it's there is there are some fun interesting ones to look at and interesting storyline Lanús against Independiente is is an interesting one all Argentinian both winners of the tournament and of the Copa ball uh, Libertadores as well at times so there's something yeah. there's something to keep your eye on just not yet maybe to be to be continued for sure Ollie before we do predictions I
0: just want to this is a, a bit of a tangent, but I was reading an interview with André Villach-Boas the other day and kind of very nomadic coach, very interesting character. And he was saying his next move will either, will either be Japan or Brazil, interestingly. Mm. And I thought, ooh, I tell you what, you know, Villach-Boas-Flamengo. I'd enjoy that. You can that. see that language, tick. Great history, European pedigree, tick. You know, it's a a big challenge. If he's going to go to Brazil, I was thinking, okay, maybe does he want the national team job, but probably not. He's a young man, wants the day-to-day. You could see him at Flamengo or Palmeiras, maybe.
1: I would definitely say Flamengo. Like, considering the way they've run through managers already since Jorge Jesus went and still don't look like they've got the right man at the helm, it's a big, splashy name for them. And it's going to be a big, splashy contract, you imagine, because they are a club that have the financial backing. So... Yeah, why not? I mean, it, and go. On. Yeah,
0: no, I was just going to say, and like, not a bad gig for him. He's he's still at Marseille, isn't he? He's got, I think he's got the remainder of the season on his contract at Marseille. via Boash could be wrong there,
1: actually. No, I think, I think he's actually. still. I think he's. Yeah, I I don't think he's got another year after this year.
0: No, no, no. So he's got. Okay, so yeah, so so he's got. Um, well, he's leaving Marseille basically. Yeah, and you know, you trade the, the south of France ain't a bad place to be. But always, if you can get a penthouse overlooking Ipanema Beach, then then it's uh, it's not a bad
1: trade. Always always got a really bad rep. I remember when he came to the Premier League and journalists started asking about a potential like uh, a dossier that he would bring, and he said in a press conference like, oh, I don't I don't have a big dossier with everything that I'm trying to teach them tactically or anything like that. I just, you know, I just. I'm teaching them a new style of football to play in the way I want them to play. And if I had a dossier, you know, it wouldn't be very big. And then the press reported it as like, AVB's dossier isn't very big anyway and Tottenham should learn to deal with it. And it's like, that's not what he said. That was at the that was at, in the press room of uh, Reading Football Club after a game. Yeah, also, it,
0: he was about 25 then.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it's so weird how, you know, you, as a young manager, you get absolutely pasted by the English press. And then like had to go off to Zenit to kind of rebuild a career again and everything, which isn't too bad. You know, they had money. They had Hulk. um... And then
0: the Dakar Rally. What? He competed in the Dakar Rally, I did
1: not know that.
0: Yeah. So I think it was after Zenit, or maybe he did a job after that. And then it was like a lifelong ambition of his to compete in the Dakar Rally. And he did. Lasted about two days. Crashed the car and had to to come back. I'm sure that wasn't
1: a description of his Tottenham career.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, that's one for you um, when you can't sleep tonight, mate, and you're worrying about the state of Bolivian football. What's that's another one for you, rally? <laughs> for you to check out. Okay, let's do predictions, Ollie. Uh, yep, right. Just looking at the top of the draw. Gremio Santos at Santos won a piece from the first leg.
1: Uh, I'm back in the consistent Gremio. Uh, yeah, me too. Nothing special though. Two, two-nil, two-one.
0: When I first. Started watching Renato Portolupi, Renato Gaúcho as he's known. I thought, God, he is—he's arrogant, you know, real swagger—and and, uh, but I really like him. I really—I love the medallion chain and the hairy chest and the four buttons, not three buttons undone. I just like it all. I think it's great, and you know, he can back that up with incredible consistency, as as you say. And I back Remio. I think that goal so deep into stoppage time to make it one apiece might just have shifted the psychological advantage and if there's a club that knows how to get to the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores it's Gremio
1: I think it's that they were missing key figures as well uh, in that game so you know Jean-Pierre didn't play which is a big yeah. big loss for them as the guy that creates everything for them basically from just off the centre forward so yeah if if they if, especially if he can get back there's there's no reason why Gremio shouldn't get get past Santos
0: Rassing bocca that'll be the first leg of course of their quarterfinal clash
1: yeah this is a really tough one because i, I did get a soft spot for Rassing after covering them a couple of times in the group and Becca Sese becca is it Becca Cheche or Becca Sese becca Sese
0: becca
1: sese uh i mean yeah there's there's something about them that's so dislikable it's likable like he dresses like such a muppet. He's so—I mean, you want to talk about guys as I said last week that is so in, like in love with himself and looks like he's caring more about like his ponytail being perfect before he walks out in his espadrilles to the dugout than than what his side's going to do. But they—they they play all right football, you know. And and it would be nice as well actually to see an Argentinian side that isn't Boca or River making a bit of a splash. And Racing are, are an iconic team in Argentinian and South American football. Why not have the light blue and white? Shining bright on the night. I'll go with Rassing. Ooh. Ooh.
0: Well, very nice. And I just, I personally got a soft spot for them. Obviously we went to their game where they were thrashed by a river. Uh, just being inside their kind of old crumbling ground uh, was, was, was sort of fascinating. But I, I remember, I don't know whether we mentioned this on the pod before, Lee. we've definitely talked about it in person, about how when you go into Rassing's ground, you really got, uh, this was obviously pre-pandemic, but we got um, really sort of patted down. And we. I remember we got told, oh, don't even bring like a pen in. Do you remember? Like, it was quite severe. Yeah. And then we got in and the bloke behind us had a motorcycle helmet with him. And <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking, hang on. Hang on. We've been patted down to the point where we couldn't even bring, like, a pen lid in. And the bloke behind us has somehow got his motorcycle <laughs> helmet in. How does that work? If you wear Some it, it's, people...
1: just a, it's just a hat. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Like, oh, yeah, you know, sorry. do It's don't worry. ridiculous. Well, um, and, you know, there's 20,000 people behind the goal with umbrellas.
0: Like Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. It's really
1: uh, were everything Super about that wrestling cool. trip made you kind of fall in love with the club a little bit. You've got dogs yeah. roaming around in the stands <laughs> they were, during like, the game.
0: By the way, if someone, you you'll be people might be listening to this thinking that's an exaggeration that Ollie's just kind of creating this ridiculous image <laughs> of chaotic South American grounds. I can tell you there were 100% stray dogs roaming around inside that football ground <laughs> when we went, what was it, just about uh, 14, 15 months ago, Ollie. I hope one day those days will be Return. Yeah. River against Nacional. I mean, we're talking minor miracle in Uruguay for Nacional, aren't we?
1: Yeah, I, it'd be the it's worst worst thing that's ever happened to Gachado. Gachado leaves if they get knocked out by Nacional.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, we didn't actually mention that Gachado used to... Um, uh, he ended his playing career at Nacional and began his managerial career at Nacional with with great success. So there was a bit of an emotional story there as well. And we could talk about Gachado's future perhaps on... Uh,
1: later pods. We because We don't ever I do talk think... about him, do we? So we should probably reference him at some well, point. Yeah, Gashana.
0: we I'm barely mentioned this this <laughs> week. So I do, I do think that come hell or high water, Oli, Gashada leaves the football club in January. I, yeah. I do, I do think that, but but we'll see. Libertad Palmeiras. Uh, I, I was impressed by Libertad in the first leg. I still, if you've got a gun to my head, I'm still going to say that Palmeiras make it through to the semifinals. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I like Cardoso up front for them. Um, Yeah, I think they've still got a chance.
1: I think they get pasted in Brazil. Absolutely pasted. I think Palmeiras win like 3-0. Get back to banging in the goals again. I think this was a... I think this might have actually been the kind of... You know when a good side is on a great run of form and then they slip up against somebody they just shouldn't do? And yeah. the poor team that has to play them next ends up okay. getting absolutely wrecked. It's gonna. I think it's going to be that case. This has been. This is too close a result from the first leg for Palmeiras to be like, oh, well, we can settle on this. They're going to go out and put them to the sword.
0: And we're going to end this podcast as we end every podcast, of course, Ollie <laughs> Suggesting that it might be a Boca Juniors versus River Plate. Super Classico. Greatest rivalry in club football, bar none final at the Maracanã on January 30th could still happen my friend
1: well we've seen gremio and santos haven't really impressed in the quarterfinals so far Boca look like they're one of those sides that can just grind their way through anything river were very good against nacional and considering the way Palmeiras played against libertad these iffy these iffy performances are in them so you can actually see river and Boca probably getting to the it's almost guaranteed getting to the final in the american art
0: Thanks, guys, as always, for listening to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. Guys, we're in the business ends of South America's greatest club competition now, and we will be recording podcasts every week. So do get in touch with us on Twitter at David T. Windsor. That's at David T. Windsor or the mighty Mr. Oliver Wilson at O underscore J underscore Wilson. Get in touch with your criticisms, with your compliments, with your musings, your thoughts, your predictions, whatever. It'll be great to hear from you. Thanks a lot. Tune in next time. Wilson and Winters, Libertadores podcast.